You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see y'all. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, uh, my name's Jake, and I'm so glad that you're joining us. Um, the, I, just got, I just got sad news that the Hi, How Are You got torn down yesterday. Did y'all hear that? What is happening to our city? It's just like, wow. That's, that, I hope that that was false information. That's why I was just told, but wow. Okay. Well, um, anyways... Daniel Johnson painted that. that that's a big deal. That's a, that was an iconic spot in our city. Okay, I'm going to try to come back around. Okay. Today we're wrapping up our series in uh, uh, the, what we've been calling the Meals, Meals with Jesus. And really love this series. Just getting to see these different times where Jesus shares a meal with people, reveals kind of who he is and what he's come to do. And uh, today, we're going to wrap this series up by looking at a passage in Luke chapter 7, where Jesus has a meal with a Pharisee, and something really shocking happens. Have y'all ever had anything really shocking happen during a meal? <laughs> if, if you have, then you probably remember that meal very vividly, right? It just kind of burned into your memory. I have one of those when Krista and I went on a date to Papacitos about nine years ago. And uh, before I tell you this story, I do need to just kind of give you a little context about me. Um, I love doing things just to get a story out of it. But even more than that, I love trying to get someone else to do something just to get a story out of it, okay? And so we're at this dinner at Papacitos, and I don't know if you've been there, but like the tables are really close to each other, or at least they were pre-COVID, or I don't know what it looks like now, but the, the tables were just so close to each other. And so uh, we were near the end of our meal, and the table next to us just got their food. And, and I turned to Krista, and I said, I dare you to reach over and grab one of their tortillas. And she said, well, what, what will you give me? And so I, uh, there was some bribe. I don't even remember what the bribe was, but uh, there was something. It's like some dollar amount or I'll buy you an outfit or whatever. I don't know what it was. But whatever it was, she was, she was game. She was like, okay, what do I have to do? And so I was like, okay, you got to reach over and you got to grab the tortilla, but then you need to hold it with both hands as a circle with both hands and take a bite of it while staring at them. And you have to chew it and swallow it. And then you have to turn back to me. Like you can't say anything to them. And then immediately once you turn back to me, you can turn back around and tell them that you did this because you were dared or whatever, you were bribed or whatever. And so because my wife is so fun, she's like, I'm in. I might not have bought her any clothes or we not have been able to afford buying her clothes for a while. And so she was like, whatever I got to do to get some new clothes. I, I don't know. Maybe that was a part of her motivation, but I, I don't really know. But anyway, she does it, right? And so she <laughs> reaches over, grabs it, holds it with both hands, stares at them while she's chewing it. They are shocked, right? I mean, they're like, like it's like so incredibly awkward. 
But she turns back around and then she turns to them and says, oh, I'm so sorry I did that. I just, this was a dare. And they, they just like laugh really uncomfortably. <laughs> Thankfully, it was near the end of our meal. We had already paid the check, so we just got up and leave. All right, so now to make it even funnier, uh, Krista posts about this on Facebook immediately. And then one of her friends on Facebook replies to the post and says, I know the people you did that to because she was friends with them and they had just posted about it on Facebook. And then Krista and that couple ended up becoming friends on Facebook and they're still in touch today, nine years later. How, how wild is that? That really happened. That's true life. Um, you ever had anything shocking happen to you during a meal? If you were to uh, ask Jesus that question, I think he would probably tell you about the story we're looking at today in Luke chapter 7. And so we're going to look at it, but not just because something wild happened, but because Jesus used this wild thing that happened in this meal to uh, show us how we will relate to him if or when we grasp who he is and how he relates to us. That's what he teaches in here. He shows us how we will relate to him when we grasp who he is and how he relates to us. All right, so turn to Luke chapter 7 in your Bibles, on your phone or whatever. You can follow along up here as well. And we're going to pick up at verse 36. Here's how it begins. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Okay, now... Real quick, if you're, if you're familiar with the gospel accounts, and this verse might surprise you a bit, because uh, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of that day, and they thought they were better than everybody else, and they, as a whole, did not like Jesus. And yet this Pharisee invites Jesus over to his house to have dinner with him. That makes this passage a bit intriguing because we learn that this Pharisee, who's later we learn his name is Simon, so Simon the Pharisee, we learn that uh, it tells us something about like his real desire to, to know more about Jesus or to get to know who Jesus is. Like that he would openly invite Jesus over for a meal. Like that, a meal in that day, just like today, to invite someone over for dinner, it's an extension of, of friendship or an invitation to friendship. Like he was risking something as a Pharisee. And I think about the only other time that we see a Pharisee have a personal conversation with Jesus in the Gospels. It's John chapter three, Nicodemus, right? Do y'all remember how Nicodemus came to Jesus? At night, in secret. He doesn't want anyone else to know. But here, Simon the Pharisee, Hosted dinner and invites Jesus. Like that tells us that he was at least intrigued or interested in getting to know who Jesus was. Like he, I think to use common day vernacular, you could call Simon a, uh, he, he was a, a, a serious seeker. Like he had a question. He wanted to know who Jesus was. So he invites him over for dinner, and Jesus comes. Because as I said last week, Jesus always goes where he's wanted. And so Jesus shows up at this meal, and while they're having dinner, that's when something really shocking takes place. Here it is, next verse. 
a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, or literally in the Greek, it's a, a woman of the city and a sinner, which was an idiomatic uh, term to refer to a, a prostitute. So you could read this as a woman who was a prostitute learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to, hear this, wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. And that would have been pretty shocking to witness, right? I mean, that tops the flower tortilla. And can you imagine being there in the room watching this take place? To kind of set the scene for you, like it's helpful to know this. Luke's description of this meal is probably uh, probably some kind of rendition of a Greco-Roman symposium, which was a dinner followed by lengthy discussion. And at these dinners, they they would recline uh, the the people there would recline on these like cushions or couches with their face towards the table and their feet out behind them, and uh, they would cover like three like the three angles of the table, but one part of it would be open for the, for the servants to come and, and serve them food or fill up their wine glasses or, or whatever. And in fact, I've got a picture up here for you that's a, um, kind of a depiction of that. Probably at Simon's house, they all had their shirts on, but I, I don't know. I don't know what was going on. But like they, uh, you know, you've got a kind of a picture. They're reclining back there as they sit around and eat this, this meal. It's also helpful to know that back in that day, uh, it was common for, especially the larger houses, to have kind of an an open area that kind of flowed out into a courtyard. So it's kind of a semi-private, semi-public space in the house. And that's probably where they were having this meal, which means that it was, there would be lots of people walking around. Servants walking around, but also others, outsiders that were there just kind of listening in to what was happening at this dinner party. Because remember, no Netflix, right? No internet. Like if you're trying to get some entertainment at the end of the day, you're like, let's go check out if there's a party happening and let's listen in. And so there's people mealing around, walking around. It's probably why this woman could approach Jesus' feet and not be called out not felt like it's weird, not be, you know, like she would have access to that. But when she actually started washing Jesus' feet with her hair, when she started kissing his feet, that's what everybody would have noticed, right? I mean, that's the record scratch moment, right? And like everyone's quiet and the, I mean, it would have been awesomely uncomfortable. In this passage, we're told what goes through Simon the Pharisee's head when he sees this. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, Why do you think that's the thought that goes through 
Simon's head. Right? Like, if this was me, I'd have a hundred other thoughts go through my mind. Right? Like, who is she? And does, how, does, does he know her? And how does he know her? And, you know, why is he letting her touch him? And why, why is she wiping his feet with her hair? Like, I mean, I'd have a ton of questions. This would not be one of them. Why is this what goes through his mind? Well, friends, it's because this was his big question. The reason why he had Jesus over for dinner was because he was trying to figure out who Jesus was. He was trying to know, like, is, is he a man of God? Is he a prophet? Some are saying he's the Messiah. Is he the Messiah? Who is Jesus? That was the seeker's big question. But when he sees this going down, he's like, all right, I've come to my conclusion. And he draws an identity conclusion if this man were a prophet. Now he's saying, okay, clearly he's not a prophet. Because if he was, then he would know who this woman is. And also implied in this is if he was a man of God, then there's no way he would allow a woman like her to touch him. So he thought he had figured it out. But then Jesus interrupts him. Look at verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. I love that it says, and Jesus answered him. Like, answered him. Simon hadn't asked a question. He had just drawn a conclusion. But no, Jesus knows that the very reason that Simon has invited Jesus over to his house is because he's asking the question, who are you? And so Jesus sees that Simon is reaching a wrong conclusion. And so he answers now, the way that Jesus answers him, the way that he tells Simon who he is, is interesting because he, he tells a story in order to get it across who he is. Look at the story. Again, verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. This is what Jesus says to answer Simon's big question. In this story, he tells Simon who he is. Friends, when you look at this story, who is Jesus in this story? First line. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. Is Jesus one of those who owed money? No. Jesus is the moneylender. See, through this story, Jesus is saying, Simon, you want to know who I am? I'm the one to whom you owe a debt. 
And I am the one who recognizes you cannot pay the debt you owe me. And so I have come to forgive your debt. Hmm. That's powerful, isn't it? Now, <laughs> what's, what's, what's uh, even more wild here, and I just, like, all week long, I've just, like, praised Jesus for this. I just love that this is who he is. But here, here's what he does next. He explains that the reason the woman was washing his feet with her tears was because she had already figured out the answer to the question that the big religious leader, Simon, was trying to figure out. Look, look at what he says next, verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, can you picture that? So here's the woman washing his feet. He turns to her, but he's talking to Simon, and he says, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Now, real quick, as her great love has shown, not as her great love has earned. Jesus is not saying that, that because she did this, he will forgive her. He's saying it's because she's figured out what I've come to do to forgive her. She has shown me this love. And so he continues and he says, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And the reason they said that is because this was a blasphemous statement. See, only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, what? You can't say that. Only God can say that. Wink, wink, you know. <laughs> and Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Friends, do you see how Jesus honors this woman by holding her up as an example to Simon the Pharisee. That he turns towards her, but he keeps talking to Simon. He says, do you see this woman? As she's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair and kissing his feet, he explains, this woman is doing what she's doing because she realizes she is a debt of sin that she cannot repay. But she also realizes that I have come to pay for Pay for and forgive her debt. Hmm. See, she knows who I am. But you, Simon, you didn't even show me normal, customary hospitality. You didn't wash my feet, didn't greet me with a kiss, didn't put oil on my head. See, unlike this woman, you haven't figured out what she has already figured out. That's what Jesus points out to Simon. Hmm. Friends, in our culture, 
It's common to view Jesus as a great teacher and a great example. And he is both of those things. He's a great teacher. He's a great example. But he is a lot more than that. As Jesus communicates here, he, he is the one that we all owe. He's the one we all owe. And the reason why we owe him is because he is our creator. He is our God. See, he's the one who created us to be with him and to reflect him to his creation and, and, and to as he, receive his love poured out on us and then to lavish his love and our love back to him and to others. But instead, when we seek to live independent of him, when we seek to go our own way, when we, instead of living for him, live for ourselves, and when we hurt those that he created, the Bible says it's, it's, it's as if we are compiling a huge debt between us and God because all of our offenses are ultimately against him. And we have a debt that we cannot repay. I know that uh, sad reality is that many of us in this room today feel like, you, you, you know, you kind of understand what it feels like to have a debt that you're just like, I don't know if I can ever repay this. You know, student loans, students, yeah, got that. Medical loans, medical debt, you know, consumer debt. And you ever feel like, man, I just I can't, never, I don't know if I'll ever crawl out of this. And you feel that burden. Well, to use Jesus' parable here, that, that's what it's like between us and him. But even worse. Because we really can't ever crawl out from under the debt that we owe him. No good we, amount of good we do will ever get us out of the debt. But by his incredible grace and love, he has come to cancel the debt that we owe him. Like, how did he do that? Well, I love how Colossians 2, 13 through 14 puts it. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now, I know we don't talk much as a church, but like that's a hallelujah. That's an amen right there. Like, this is amazing. How, how powerful is this? That he has taken it away. Our legal indebtedness. He's the one we owe, but he's taken it away. Nailing it to the cross. Friends, salvation here is, is depicted as forgiveness of a debt. But the forgiveness of a debt still requires someone to pay. 
The debt doesn't just vanish into thin air. I share the American government. Either the person who owes it pays or the person who is supposed to be paid covers the cost. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness by paying for our sins himself. When he was nailed to the cross, and he was forsaken by the Father in our place. He paid our debt so that we could be accepted by the Father and brought into his family, having been reconciled to God. See, uh, we had a debt we could not pay. But Jesus, out of his grace and love for us, paid a debt he did not owe. So through the events of this dinner and through this story, he tells, uh, Jesus tells Simon uh, the answer to his big question. It's Jesus saying, Simon, hey, you're trying to decide if I'm a prophet, but I'm, I'm way more than that. See, I, I'm actually the one you owe because I'm your creator, God. And I'm the one who has come to make a way for your debt to be canceled. See, I am your God, and I am your Savior. That's who I am. That's what I've come to do. So let me just ask, like, do, do you know that that's who Jesus is? It, that is who he is. Do you, do you know that? Do you know that that's what he has done for you? Do you realize that because of your sin, you have a debt that you cannot pay? But that he has come and paid for it for you. See, if you realize that, then as Jesus says here, you're going to love him accordingly. For the one who has been forgiven much loves much. But as the one who's been forgiven little or doesn't recognize that they've been forgiven at all, loves little. And so Jesus doesn't just answer Simon's question at this dinner party. He goes further. He not only answers it, but he says, and here's how you will relate to me once you know the answer, once you know who I am. And again, Jesus does that. He teaches Simon the way to relate to him by using the example of this woman. And let me just read these verses again. They're just so beautiful. Verse 44, then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Friends, does your response to Jesus look more like Simon's or more like the woman's? 
See, if I were to sum up her response to Jesus and his forgiveness, I'd say she was moved to love Jesus with a uncustomary love and an unconditional love. And I say an uncustomary love because she was motivated to break the customs of the day, (laughs) right? Like uh, in that day, women did not touch men in public, especially not like that. And women in that day absolutely did not let their hair down in public. I mean, that was very scandalous. But here, this woman comes and is touching Jesus' feet, kissing his feet with her hair let down at a Pharisee's house, nonetheless, right? Like, this is incredibly uncustomary love. Like, why would she be doing this? Well, it's because as a result of her realization of who Jesus was and what he had come to do, he was the most important person in her life. And she could not have cared less what Simon the Pharisee or any of his friends thought about her. She was there just to honor and express love for and appreciation to Jesus because of who he is and what he's done. And so she's like, yo, I'm going to break the customs. I'm going to break some social norms because I have to express my love for him. And friends, one of the signs that you get who Jesus is and what he's done for you is that you will at least at times be willing to break some social norms to show him love and appreciation in light of who he is and what he's done for you. I mean, just so simple, but let me just point this out. Like in our church worship time, we are very reserved. And that's okay if that's your personality. If that's, that's how you worship Jesus, there's no judgment on that. But here's what I know, having grown up in the church and you know, been around many people and worship, is that some would, be, would, would feel more engaged in worship if they like raised their hands a little bit or they actually sang out loud. But you don't because you're worried about what you will look like to others. It feels a little awkward, like maybe you're breaking some of the social norms. Who cares? Friends, when, when you're enraptured by who Jesus is and what he's done for you, just worship him. Lift those hands, fall on your knees, sing loud, weep and cry and dance, whatever it might be. Get into it because you're worshiping Jesus. And don't worry about the person next to you unless you're so distracting that they can't worship. But friends, like, let's worship. Or here's a social, another social norm that like, you might be willing to break in light of who Jesus is and what he's done. In our day and age, it's not customary to talk about Jesus. Not with your neighbors, not at work, not in class, not in your groups. But in light of who he is and what he's done for you and what you know that he's done for others. Break those social norms, my friends. 
Be willing to talk about Jesus with your friends and neighbors and family members and classmates and coworkers. And I know it's not easy. It's hard to break a, coast, a custom, a, a, you know, a social norm. It is. Like Krista and I, right now with a, a couple of our friends on our street who are part of Midtown, Matt and Jen and Beth, we all have been hosting, uh, the, watching the show The Chosen at our house on Thursday nights. And we, we this, this year, we, we decided we're going to invite all of our neighbors to come over and watch this with us. Because The Chosen, if you're not familiar with it, it's just this awesome show about Jesus and his relationship with the disciples. And it just does an incredible job depicting who Jesus is and what he's like, what he'd come to do. And, and I don't say this often about Christian media, but oh, it's just so, it's so good. And so we thought, man, we want our neighbors to get a chance to, to see at least a hint of what Jesus is like and, and to lead to some more conversations about Jesus with them. And so we said, okay, we're going to invite all of our people, all of our neighbors on our street. But man, when it came time to send out that invite, we were scared to death. We were so like, we were just like, oh, I don't know. And like, we had all this fear. We felt intimidated and we were worried, you know, like, what are they going to think of us? And is this going to make things awkward on the street? And like, maybe we shouldn't. And we kind of back and forth. But then, you know what? We went for it. Because Jesus is awesome. And he deserves our praise and our neighbor's praise. And our neighbors need to know who he is and what he's done for them. And so we went for it. And we have been so encouraged by the, the warm reception that we've gotten by so many of our neighbors. And some of them have started coming and watching The Chosen with us. And we've had great conversations about Jesus. And it's been awesome. He who has been forgiven much will love much. And you'll be moved to step out of social norms to express your love for him. It's one way that you can look at, evaluate, do I really get who Jesus is and what he's done for me? Another way that you can evaluate if you really get it, who he is, what he's done, is that you... You, you can see, are you, are you relating to him? Are you responding to him unconditionally? See, uh, this woman, Luke 7, not only was she moved to break the customs of the day, but uh, she shows up at this Pharisee's house. And what she do? One of the things she does is that she pours out her perfume on Jesus' feet. And see, we're told that she had come with this alabaster jar of, of perfume, which was this small but like ex really expensive accessory that some women would wear around their necks. And uh, for a prostitute, it was uh, super important because it helped them it helped make her a, a, attractive and desirable. Most likely, friends, it was the most valuable thing that she owned. But she takes it and she pours it on Jesus' feet. 
Now, what was she communicating through that? This is what she was saying. She was saying, there isn't anything I'm going to hold back from you, Jesus. I had come with, to you without conditions. I'm bringing you the most valuable thing that I own, and I'm going to use it to honor you in light of who you are and the forgiveness found in you. I'm not holding anything back. Which, friends, when you think about it, is the rational response to Jesus when you know who he is and what he's done. When you get that he's God and he's the one you owe and he's your savior who's come to pay your debt on your behalf. That you say, okay, you, you are the only one worth living for, God, but I also can trust you with my life because you love me to this extent that you would die for me when I owed you this debt. You'd pay for it. I can trust you. You are, you are of supreme worth and you're supremely good. And so why would I hold anything back from you? See, when you get who he is and what he's done, then you say, okay, yeah, my time and my ambitions and my career and my, my money and my possessions and my sex life and my relationships, all of it, I give to you. I seek to honor you with it. I'm not going to hold anything back because of who you are and what you've done. See, I... I think this is what the Apostle Paul was getting at in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, when he said, whatever, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake, I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. When you walk out of here today, the question I want in your mind is, Am I responding to Jesus like Simon or like this woman? Is my response fitting to who Jesus is and what he's done for me? See, the more you realize the debt you owed and the grace and forgiveness provided in Jesus, the more you will love him because the one who's forgiven much loves much. And so, friends, as Jesus says to Simon in this passage, and as he says to us, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? See, she grasped who Jesus was and what he had come to do for her, and so she responded accordingly. Let us learn from her and respond in the same way. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. 
We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.